This is Saving Grace, Living in the Light of God's Love, a broadcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. And now, our program. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's program. If you joined us last week, you learned from our guests that we each have a path where life happens that takes us from our here, our current reality, to our there, our goal or destination. Now, we normally have many theirs in life for goals that we're trying to achieve for our job, our family, our finances, our ministry. But we need to have a transcendent there that gives us a direction and purpose to unite all of our goals into a common purpose, which gives meaning to our life. God has a transcendent purpose for each of our lives and has equipped us with gifts and talents and strengths to not only fulfill our purpose, but to influence others to do the same. Our topic is servant leadership, and we are so glad to have back with us this week Dave Kunert. Dave is a servant leadership trainer, equipping people to influence the world through transformed character, effective leadership, and cultural engagement. Dave is the author of Servant Leadership, Influencing Others to Get There by Leading a Transformational Life. Dave retired from a 23-year career in the United States Army as a command sergeant major and earned his MBA from Columbia Southern University. He currently serves as the production manager for Crown Quest Operating and is the director of The Crossroad. Dave and his wife, Beth, live in Midland, Texas with their four children. Dave, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here. Glad to have you. Well, you know, we talked last week about the importance of understanding our here, our current reality, in order to determine our path towards our there. You uh, share tools that help us to better assess our current reality. Now, last week, we did consider the tool of identifying the type of power that we convey and the influence style that others see in us. You briefly walked us through five types of power and influence, but I encourage uh, our listeners to get the book, get the workbook, and to really go into depth on each of these. Uh, But for time's sake today, Dave, I'd love for us to focus, if we could, on referent power and transformational leadership, because that's an ideal that we would love to strive uh, to reach. Could you help us with that? Well, yeah, referent power is, uh, if you think, again, about who your role model was and, and when you were growing up, maybe somebody who you really wanted to emulate or be. And it may have changed as you grew older. Maybe it's a mix of several people. And we kind of choose and pick the attributes that we all want to emulate. Um, so it's, it's extremely influential. And when we talk about leading others to get there and the influence that it takes, the more referent power you have, the more likely you are to be able to influence them to get there. So it's really powerful. And then uh, transformational leadership, like we talked about, was we want people to move from transactional of what's in it for me and what do I get out of this to what's in it for we. 
And what yes. we're really talking about there is being part of something greater than ourselves yes. and being able to be part of that. And we're not doing it for our primary motivation anymore of what I get out of it. We're doing it more for serving the people around us and actually serving a purpose greater than ourselves. It doesn't mean we don't have a transactional component. It doesn't mean we're going to show up for work not expecting a paycheck. Right. But our primary motivation no longer is what do I get out of it? It's about serving the people in the mission. Yes, yes. And it seems to me the referent power and the transformational leadership both exemplify what servant leadership is all about. Just beautiful uh, characteristics for us to 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 really uh, hone in on for our leadership style and and uh, our, our power of influence. Well, you know, it all seems easy when we are focused on the me, <laughs> but following, uh, but knowing that we are to serve our others places the focus on the we, the team, the family, whatever that we might be, uh, which is really where we should strive. Uh, to focus. Now, sadly, Dave, you know we have all been part of environments, whether it be in our homes, uh, in the workplace, sadly, sometimes in our churches and ministries, where leadership is focused on me. We see it. It's not focused on we. Help us to understand the downfalls of a me culture and what is a practical first step that we can choose to change the focus to we. Great. That's that's a big question. It is. Uh, so obviously, the, the me versus the we. And uh, it's important to remember with this that um, this is the spirit in the flesh. The we is serving others, the, the fruits of the spirit, and the me are, is the flesh. And our default, unfortunately, is the flesh. Yeah. Um, that's always going to be where we end up when we're not intentional at looking at the we. So we have to be real careful with that. And our culture, everything around us reinforces the me. Oh, you yes. deserve a break today. You just got to love yourself more. Well, I promise you, you love yourself plenty. You don't need to worry about loving yourself more. You probably need to look at loving someone or other people more. Mm -hmm. So understanding that the me is our default, our sin nature, our flesh is always going to be pushing us toward our me. And recognizing that me is not the answer. When we talked about a transcendent there, it's about other people. It's about the mission. And it's about serving something greater than ourselves. And through that, will actually find fulfillment in life. When we are focused on ourselves and fulfilling our own personal appetites, then it's never going to go well for us because it will never be enough. We'll always want more. So if uh, you, you could do the same thing with a different heart and have a different outcome. So you could want to be the CEO of your own company. Right. Because you want to be glorified, you want to be honored, and you mm. make it about me and be transactional with it, and you have a complete... A mess on your hands because you're making it about you versus being the CEO of, of your own company to serve others and have have something greater than yourself where people can be a part of it and have a completely transformational outcome. Mm -hmm. Both things are the CEO of your own company. It's a matter of the heart and perspective that changes all that. So a good first step in moving from me to we is first recognizing there is a me and a we at work and name it. Name the we. What's my transcendent there? What's the mission that I'm trying to accomplish and moving toward? I've said mine is serve others to the glory of God. Now I can always check myself to know if I'm in the me circle 
or the least circle? Mm-hmm. Am I serving others or am I serving Dave? Am I glorifying God or am I trying to glorify myself? And I can self-arrest because we all we all want to move toward the me. It's, it's the gravity pulls us in that direction. Yes. And we always want to put structures in place to help us focus on the we because where we look, we tend to go. It's kind of like if you've ever driven a motorcycle or ridden a motorcycle as you're coming into a curve. If you look in front of your bike, you're going to lay it down. You have to look through the curve in the direction you're going. And if you allow yourself, you're going to be looking at the me. So structure demands behavior. Mm. What structures do I put in place in my life to help me focus on we? That can be your five closest friends, who you choose to hang around, are so influential with you. You could name your friend group and ask them, hey, what three words would I use to describe my friend group? And really what you're describing is your own values. It's so prevalent. We, we tend to take on the attributes of the people around us. Sure. So having a good there, having a friend group that represents the values that we want to represent, setting goals is another structure that we can put in place. Um, all, all these things, you know, the social media we choose to look at, the books we decide to read, the television, and the movies we decide to watch, all of those are going to influence us to some degree. And, you we know, one of the things... One of the things that, that helped me personally um, in this in this track was to uh, write a mission statement. And I did that about, oh, goodness, it's probably been 35 years ago. Uh, but I, I filter everything through that. And my mission statement, similar to yours, is to help others be all that God designed them to be, regardless of their past or present circumstances. And, and that keeps my focus off of what I want for me and what God has placed me here to help others to accomplish. Uh, and so that that has been a, a tool for me that I've used, uh, but it, it fits right in with what we're talking about today. Excellent. Yeah, I think uh, having that mission statement really helps us stay on track. I think you're absolutely right. And having that for 35 years and remembering it, usually when I do these these seminars, I have people come up with their mission statement, and yeah. about six months later, you can ask them, and they've forgotten it. I oh. can't remember the words. Yeah. So it's, it's about being intentional with it. You yeah. Know, you got to tape it to the bathroom mirror where you see it every day. Put it as the screensaver on your computer. Tattoo it to your children's foreheads. <laughs> That's so right. you, You're always seeing it. It's always in your face, and that structure then reminds us of what we're supposed to be doing versus uh, trying to remember on our own because Absolutely. we won't without that. We need that structure in our lives. Yes, we do. Well, you know, we talk. Uh, you talk about freedom that we give to people or control and the, the differences in the two. And bring us back to what we can control. You tell us there are three things that we can control. Help us with that. Yeah, sure. We, what, what we can control, right? It's my wife and my children. No, <laughs> we not. wish, right? We control. There's seven point seven or seven point eight billion people on the planet now. Uh-huh. We get to control one of them, and it's not your spouse, and it's not your children. It's me. Yeah. That's all I can control. And so, recognizing that, that's the first big step. I don't get to control others, no matter how hard I try, physically, emotionally, passive aggressively. I cannot control them. I can control three things for myself. I get to control whom I trust, which is the fundamental decision we get to make in life. Mm -hmm. Do I trust God Mm -hmm. or do I trust someone or something other than God? The second thing I get to control is my perspective or my attitude. 
And the third thing are my actions or choices. And this is a really good check yourself moment too. It's if I have bad actions, it's probably because I have the wrong perspective. Mm -hmm. And if I have the wrong perspective, am I trusting who I should be trusting? Mm. That's the the great check we get to do with ourselves there. And when we put all this together, it's powerful. It's freeing. It's absolutely liberating. Not trying to control other people or circumstances. Yes. Oh, for sure. So many of us. Well, all of us. Uh, need to grasp on to those three things that we can control. Because if our focus is there, uh, we more likely are going to be able to change our environment uh, if we're focusing on the right things. Well, these become particularly important as we look closer at our ever-changing life path. Uh, Romans 5, 3, and 4 reminds us to glory in tribulations, not uh, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. The end result sounds good, but those pits of despair that are along our life path, uh, how do we stay motivated when we fall into a pit of despair that is sure to come because the Lord tells us there will be troubles? Yeah, yeah. God sure didn't say it was ever going to be easy, did he? No, he didn't. And, uh, no matter what, we're going to have these moments in life. Peter calls them fiery trials in Scripture, yeah. um, similar to what Paul talks about. And he says they're not to be avoided. We're not supposed to try to avoid these. Well, I mean, nobody, I think, really wants to go through the pit of despair. But when yeah. you think about all of the most meaningful and learning moments in your life, they all came through those trials and tribulations. They all came through those those pits of despair. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at that and things go poorly, we can have a better perspective. And really, how do you stay motivated? It's understanding God has me where he wants me for a reason. And the question is, what should I be learning right now? So when we look at going into a difficult time in life, you know, whether it's uh, starting a new relationship and recognizing there's going to be some difficulties, starting a new job, I'm excited, can't wait to get going. Yeah. Well, I know what's coming next. It's going to be more difficult than I thought it was going to be. It's the storming phase of team development. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get there. I'm going in the pit of despair. But that's where leadership happens. Yes. It's really easy to be the leader when you're forming the team and everybody's excited. <laughs> it's really lead- easy to be the leader of the team when you come out the other side of the pit and everything is, is performing as it should be. But in that storming phase, in that pit, that deep, dark pit of despair that gets so deep sometimes, that's where you get to see leaders step up and lead. So my, I guess my, my uh, advice to people in the pit of despair that are going through difficult times right now is to take heart. Everyone goes through it. The only difference between my path and yours is the depth of the pit. Mm-hmm. If we have the mental model that we're going to go through it, then we know getting into a relationship it's not going to be all unicorns and sunshine and rainbows. There's going to be some dark moments. Yeah. And when it happens, and I'm not surprised, that actually shallows the pit of despair. Mm. We have realistic expectations. And then we look at it as, this is a, this is a learning moment for me. This yeah. is an opportunity for me to step up and lead versus for me. Yes. I, in my own life right now, my, my daughter has been through some, uh, some trying moments in this year. Her husband mm. got... Uh, put out of work because he had some health issues and now oh. she has some health issues and um, all of this stuff she just kept saying well I can't believe this is all happening but when you really look at it there's been so many moments this year where you can say man look how many times God has stepped in and helped me this year versus 
oh, poor me, I'm a victim. It's, wow, look at how many things God has done for me and the types of things that he's done for me so far this year. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And, and that's so critical to stop where we are, look back, see how faithful God has been, knowing that he will continue to be faithful. He will provide all that we need to do the work he's called us to do. And so we can still go towards our transcendent there with that uh, confident hope in him. Well, David, how we respond to our emotions and to the emotions of others tells us a lot about our current reality. Emotions are not good or bad, but how we respond can be helpful or beneficial or harmful. Uh, Share briefly a healthy approach to dealing with our emotions. Sure, yeah. It's, uh, you know, emotions... We all have them. We can change the emotions we get by changing our thinking, but that's a, that's a really slow ship to turn. Um, so good thinking can change some of the negative emotions we get. But overall, we're not going to get rid of emotions. And we don't want to be emotionless, but we don't want to be emotion-led either. So when we look at emotions and what they are, we have to recognize, first of all, that they're untrustworthy yeah. and that... They're responders. They're responders to something that's going on around us, some external stimulus usually. And so I recognize those two things about it. And then when I get hit with an emotion, I can act on that emotion and then think later. So I can feel, act, think, or I can choose to feel, think, act. And what feel, think, act does for me when I get into that mode is it causes me to slow down the emotion. I have to think about it and recognize, okay, Emotions are telling me something needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Think about it and say, thank you, emotions. I'll take it from here. So the acronym we came up with for this is LID, L-I-D-D. Listen to what your emotions are telling you because it's important. Yes. Identify the emotion that's at play. There's a lot of research on just on identifying emotions. When they take patients and they'll put them in an MRI scanner and scan the brain, Mm -hmm. they'll show them pictures of starving children in Africa or an abused puppy or something that will cause some kind of an emotional spike and you can see parts of the brain light up. When they ask them to identify the part of the the emotion that they're experiencing and just asking them to identify and feeling anger causes them to be less angry. So this Mm -hmm. Listen, identify it. The identify portion is really important because it causes us to slow the emotions down and it helps us set them aside. So I listen, I identify, I decide my course of action, and then I dismiss the emotion before I take the next step, Mm -hmm. which is to act. So feel, think, L-I-D-D, and then act. And when I do that and remember this, I'm I'm better able to have less emotional outbursts and acting on emotions than I am where I can slow it down and be more serving toward others. Yes, yes. And, you know, in our spiritual walk with the Lord, uh, I I always think about feelings that the enemy uses to to attack our thoughts, uh, the lies that he feeds us. We get emotional doubt, fear, anxiety. Sometimes those feelings are from him, uh, but that's when we have to turn back to facts versus feelings. Uh, the facts of what God has said to be true and his promises to overcome those thoughts, right? It's like that taking every thought captive. Yeah, for sure. Putting facts before the story and and focusing on the facts versus how I feel is always going to help. 
And so that's that's really, really positive thing to do. Yes, yes. Uh Another tool that you share for uh, determining our current reality is our perspective on life, particularly when circumstances are bad. Uh, talk with us a moment about the victim circle, circle versus the circle of choice. I thought that was very powerful. Sure, yeah. So really what happens in life all too often is we find ourselves being a victim, and especially in our culture today, our culture honors or values the victim. Sure so if you can have some kind of a victim status right now, you're honorable. So if you if you are a member of the LGBTQ community, that's honorable because you're a victim. If you are a minority of some kind, whether it's in your religion or in your gender or in your race or in your sexual preference, you are a victim and that's honorable, unfortunately, in our culture. So we have a victim culture and the victim culture or the victim circle basically just says, life, people, and circumstances are happening to me, and I can't do anything about it. I have no agency or what psychologists would call locus of control. It's an external locus of control. Everything's happening to me. Mm. The other side of it is the circle of choice, which is to say, you know what? Bad things happened in my life, but I still have a choice. I still have an opportunity to rise above my economic conditions, to rise above the bad things that happened to me because of my religion or my whatever. And I can happen to like people in circumstances. Viktor Frankl talks a lot about this. And again, he's that neurologist and psychologist that was in a concentration camp. He was yeah. in Auschwitz and later at Dachau. And one of the things he writes about in Man's Search for Meaning is we always have a choice. He recognizes that even as a prisoner of war in a concentration camp, he had a choice every day. He talks about the people that walk through the huts giving away the last piece of bread. Mm. I mean, we always have a choice. Yes. This is a guy in a concentration camp who recognizes that, and yet us in the richest, most prosperous, freest country in the world, we, we can somehow think of ourselves as a victim and never having a choice. It's absolutely astounding, but we all do this, yes. whether it's for a split second or it's for weeks or days on end. And if you've ever been around somebody who's always in the victim circle, mm -hmm. it's pretty exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's they're always there. So drawing these two circles, uh, one of we, we always draw the victim circle in red and we have arrows pointing toward me. Me is in the middle and it's all about react and respond. And then in the circle on the right, you have the same circle, but it's green and in the middle is me and all the arrows point out towards life, people and circumstances. And moving from one circle to the other is as simple as saying, I have a choice. Yeah. I yeah. can do this. Mm. That is powerful. And I think, again, as believers, uh, choosing our identity in Christ over our letting our circumstances identify us. Sometimes we uh, label ourselves. For example, uh, we uh, you look at like AA, uh, you know, and, and people identify I'm an alcoholic or uh, I'm a cancer survivor, so I, I could go, well, I, I, I have cancer. But that's not my identity. That is a circumstance. My identity is in Jesus Christ who gives me power over all my circumstances. Uh, and it also takes that focus off of us, doesn't it? And puts it back on that transcendent, uh, the transcendent there. Yes, absolutely. That, that's one of the most powerful parts of that circle of choice is recognizing where your identity lies. Yes. Or it's the most powerful moment of changing culture. You are not a victim. You, you are a child of God. 
how, how much more exciting could you it's so exciting i don't know how we can just i'm a victim no you're you're a child of god exactly. you're made in his image there's so much you can do and yet we'll relegate ourselves to being a victim Yes, yes. Wow. Well, I, I pray that our listeners are uh, are taking notes and uh, that they will dig a little deeper into uh, your ministry and your book. We only have a couple of minutes left, but um, I wonder if in some concluding marks that you would be able to kind of connect the dots with what we've discussed these past two weeks. Again, folks, we've only touch the surface uh there is so so much more that would help you your ministry your family your church your business i do encourage you to to follow uh dave kunert and his his ministry uh but if you'll just kind of give us some concluding marks about the here their path yeah so so this is this is such a powerful model and these are such powerful tools and we touched on it a little bit last time but because these are so powerful and when you really understand this you could use this to change your life and change the lives of others for the greater good or you can turn this around and use it to make yourself more comfortable in life um, we're not supposed to do that i'm not saying you shouldn't try to have some money or you shouldn't try to be able to have a vacation home at all what i'm saying is how we use it really matters we're supposed to be tired at the end of the week. It's Friday. Did I leave it all on the court for God or not? Yeah. Am I using the gifts that I've been given, working toward my transformational, my transcendent there to be transformational and serve the people around me, or am I just kind of getting through life to make myself more comfortable? Mm. Mm. If we don't do what we're supposed to be doing, we're going to be held to account for that. It's the parable of the talents. Yes. Yes, no doubt about it. Wow. Well, thank you, Dave Kunart, for the insight and the tools that you have provided our listeners to discover their here, their path, and in the process to become the influencers that God designed us to be. I encourage you, our listeners, to check out our program notes to learn more about Dave's book, Servant Leadership, and the training courses that he offers for your church or your business. And again, I think think it'd be powerful for your family uh, to go through this this study. We invite you to check out the many courses that we offer through our degrees program at Grace School of Theology, or for those simply wanting to know and love our Savior more deeply, check out Grace on Demand through our Grace Center for Spiritual Development. Our website is gsot.edu, that is G-S-O-T edu or you can always download the grace app where you're going to find many of our resources classes etc available there uh, as I mentioned uh, Dave's book is required reading at Grace School of Theology and part of one of our uh, the textbook that is used in our course on uh, servant leadership so uh, do check that out we're so glad you've tuned in today please tell us about saving grace and remember the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost thank you for joining us today you've been listening to saving grace for more information about Grace Center for Spiritual Development or this program visit our website at gsot.edu center or download the grace app through your smartphone Views expressed on this program may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.